Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. I want to welcome you to this next installment in our series entitled Courageous Faith, Standing Firm in a Time of Compromise. Today, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6. And it's a story of when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. If you, and so there's an outline in your bulletin entitled The Lion's Den. And um, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you heard this once a year, whether you needed it or not. Okay, I mean, this is a story that many kids hear because it's a story of great courage on the part of Daniel and how he was rescued by the Lord. But this isn't just a story for kids. This is a story for us today. I mean, how would we respond if somebody changed the law and all of a sudden for us to practice biblical Christian faith was against the law. How would, how would you respond? Well, that's what Daniel was facing. The laws were changed right underneath him so he couldn't pray to his God anymore. That's what the story's about. How would you respond? And the Bible's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And this is a tremendous guide for how we could handle it. Can you imagine living in a situation where laws might change and all of a sudden it was illegal for us to practice biblical Christianity? Can anybody imagine that? If you can't imagine that, you need to buy the paper. You need to read this. And so this is as timely. I laugh when people tell me the Bible, it's out of date, it has nothing relevant. You're going to see as we go through the story of Daniel and the lion's den, this isn't a little kid's story. This is a story for very serious grown-ups who want to practice their faith. Let me have a word of prayer for us. We're going to jump right in. I thank you for the Bible, Lord. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, I thank you for Daniel who practiced his faith even when it got tough. So Lord, I pray that you will speak, you'll move me out of the way and teach us some things we need to know from this marvelous story in Daniel 6. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. If you need a pen, by the way, raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you. You're going to want to take notes on this. There's a lot of fill-in-the-blank items too. Although he lived in a culture hostile to his faith, point one on your outline, Daniel stood out as a leader with integrity. If you haven't been with us in this series or aren't familiar with who Daniel was, he was uh, raised as a boy in Jerusalem, a Hebrew boy, raised in apparently a pretty godly home. He and some of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you've heard of them, were hauled off uh, when the Babylonians came and they ransacked Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king at the time. Um, Jerusalem was then where Jerusalem is now. And they were hauled away to Babylon, which was in modern-day Iran, Iraq, in that area. And Daniel and his friends were, uh, they did the Babylonians, when they would uh, conquer a country, would take the best and the brightest. They would have been bright, young, intelligent, good-looking princes, uh, sons of nobles in Jerusalem at that time. And they were hauled off, and the Babylonians wanted to assimilate the best and the brightest into their culture. And so Daniel was sent to Babylon Tech, he was given a Babylonian name. They, were, they did everything they could. They, they were told to dress like Babylonians, act like Babylonians. And no matter what they did, the Babylonians couldn't get Daniel to let go of his faith. That's why he's in the Bible. Somebody lived in a hostile culture but hung on to his faith no matter what the consequences. And time after time, God rescued him. Same thing's true today. Daniel was hauled off to Babylon when he was 16. It's now more than 60 years later. He's probably about 80 when this story takes place. Uh, Daniel served under a couple of Babylonian kings. Now uh, the Medes and the Persians came and conquered Babylon. We talked about that last week. Now there's a new king in town by the name of Darius, Darius the Mede, and that's where we jump in the action today. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. It's got, they've conquered the kingdom. Now you've got to rebuild it after the war. 
How are you going to organize? Well, he divides into 120 provinces. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. And the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel obviously had a good resume from how he'd faithfully served under a number of Babylonian kings, understood how the previous government had worked, was invaluable for all of his insight. Well, Daniel soon proved himself to be more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in, in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So Daniel was working in an environment where there were competitive people out to get his job. <laughs> Again, can you imagine such a worthless story? I mean, the Bible is so irrelevant. This is stories about people who are living in a competitive uh, environment where people are conniving to get your job. That never happens in our culture. This is so out of date. Throw it away. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's as relevant as going to work tomorrow and you're in an environment where people are jealous of you and they want your job and they're looking for anything they can to trip you up. How would you handle that? How would I? Well, let's see how Daniel did. You know what he did? He did his work faithfully, responsibly, and he was always completely trustworthy. Life application for you and me? Hey, we should be known for the integrity and quality of our work. Why? Because the Bible says we're working for God, not for people anyway. That's why. Colossians 3.23, I didn't have time to put that in. You can write that in. But listen to 1 Peter 2.12. It says the same thing. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which Daniel's co-workers are trying to do here, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When Paul was writing to Titus, he had given Titus a bunch of instructions on how different people were supposed to live. And it's interesting, in chapter 2, he gets to the lowest rung on the ladder. I mean, the indentured servants, people who had been forced into slavery in those times. And he said, even you guys serve with a good conscience. Some of those people were becoming Christians. Don't steal and create a ruckus. I mean, do your work well. Here's why. And he says, because if you do that, you will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. You know, if you and I want to earn the right to be heard, the best way we can do that is by being an exemplary employee. I mean, how does it work if you're, if you're always coming in late, always clocking out early, turning in shoddy work, padding the expense reports, just glossing over stuff or just mailing it in, never doing half what you're supposed to do, and then inviting people to church on Sunday? Hey, look, I know I'm late again. Yeah, I didn't get that done, even though I promised I would. Yeah, we're not anywhere near meeting our targets, and I've taken every sick day I possibly can. I've lied about my Aunt Gladys dying. She's died three times, okay? I'm going to do all this, and, uh, and then I'm going to invite people to come to church? You know, what kind of Bible do you guys read over there? I mean, thou shalt cut corners, is that Hesitations 5, or where is that? I mean, where do we get that stuff? No, what God wants us to do, he wants us to live our lives, we're supposed to stand out. Daniel stood out because of faithfulness, responsibility, and was completely trustworthy. And that's why Darius wanted to promote him to the top. Here he was, a Hebrew captive, elevated to the top, 
because of faithfulness. My goodness, if you and I want to share the gospel with people, the very best way to earn the right to be heard is to do our work well. And again, even then if people attack you, they couldn't find anything wrong with his work. That brings us to point two. But co-workers weren't going to let that stop them, and they, so they got together. This is Daniel 6, starting with verse 5. So they concluded, look, they trapped him. That's the blank. They trapped Daniel into choosing between loyalty to God and loyalty to the king. Let me fill in the blank. Daniel's jealous co-workers trapped him into choosing between loyalty to God and loyalty to the king. Here's what they did. They concluded, look, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. May that be said about you and me. Look, if you're going to find any fault with Tom, if you're going to find any fault with Carol, it better be about their faith because you're not going to find fault in anything else. In fact, their religion motivates them to be honest and hardworking. So they conclude, look, our only chance in finding grounds for accusing Daniel would be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Well, what is it? Well, king, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. They had found Darius's biggest flaw, his big head, and they wanted to pump it up. They knew this guy was vain and egotistical, and so they said, King, we want you to make a law. We've all gotten together, and we think it needs to be Darius month, all month. In fact, we want you to make a law that Dairy Queen, they have a blizzard that's named Darius, okay? And it's half off all month. It's Darius month. Your majesty, if anybody prays to anybody except you, they'd be thrown into a den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law because he was egotistical and vain. And think about a whole culture where they make a law that cannot be changed or revoked. I mean, how egotistical is that? Yeah, we're going to make a law. Well, what if it's a bad law? Whatever it is, whatever law we make, we stick with it. That's us, the Medes and Persians. Well, that's dumb. It was dumb, and it's going to come back to haunt him. It's a dumb idea. Even if you discover something's bad, you don't apologize. By the way, don't do that in your marriage either. Well, that's what we said, so that's what we're going to do. It's dumb. I don't care. We're going to be dumb then. Let's not be dumb. If it's a dumb idea, it's a dumb idea. Let's say we're sorry, we're wrong, and change it. Okay? Free life application. Well, anyway, Daniel's jealous co-workers trapped him into choosing. They issued this law that would have been the hear ye, hear ye, crier, town crier. No one may pray to Darius but for the next 30 days. And here's the note. Daniel remained loyal to God, said his daily prayers to God just as he always had. He was loyal to God. When Daniel learned, this is Daniel 6, verse 10, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he freaked out, texted 20 friends and said, oh my gosh, this is so unjust. That's not what he did. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to God. Do not turn the page. Do not turn the page. Okay, some of you are way ahead of me. All right? In the margin, I want you to write a couple of things. First of all, I want you to write a couple of references. 
didn't have room for him here. Psalm 5517. Psalm 5517. Uh, what does that say? Well, it was a, where Daniel got the idea of praying three times a day. And the whole idea in um, uh, Psalm 55 is just that uh, when Daniel was praying, it says that morning, noon, and night, or it says that in the evening, in the morning, and at noontime, I will pray and you will hear me. Uh, the Hebrews started their day at sundown. They didn't go morning, noon, and night. They did evening, morning, noon. Dr. Pepper does 10, 2, and 4, by the way, if you're wondering where that came from. But, but the whole idea here is that Daniel was praying three times a day. He also, in the margin, writes 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, verses 20 and 21. Here's what they say. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, said this. He said to the Lord, O Lord, may your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place which you said in which you said you would put your name, may you hear the prayers, your ser- the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And Daniel knew both of those. He would have known what Solomon said when the temple was dedicated, that they had to pray toward that place. He would have known what Psalm 55 said about praying three times a day. And so he prayed three times a day, facing toward Jerusalem. The temple wasn't there anymore. It had been destroyed, but he was praying for forgiveness of his people, and one day his people would be able to return home. And it was business as usual. I mean, that's why he's in the Bible here. This is the way God wants us to be. The issue of whether or not he was going to be loyal to God was settled long before the decree came out. It was settled. Now you can flip the page. Another life application, we must put our commitment to Christ above everything else. I mean, that needs to be settled. You know what's heartbreaking for me? I will have couples come in, uh, they've been married a year or two, and they have come into some financial difficulty or health concerns or somebody lost their job or, I don't know, you have it, what, you name it. And here's the way the conversation goes. We'll be talking for a while, and then the husband or the wife or both of them will say, well, you know, I don't know if we really need to be married. I'll go, well, when are you going to determine that? They go, what? Well, when is that going to be decided? Because the rest of us thought you decided that when you put the ring on, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, till the day we die, we ate the cake and watched the video. I thought we decided this. Now you're telling me two years in, we haven't decided this? What do you mean you haven't decided this? Do you need till noon? Till tomorrow? When will you decide to honor the vows you already made? Why are we still making decisions about this? If this is the man that comes first in your life, this is the man that comes first in your life. If this is the woman that comes first in your life, this is the woman that comes first in your life. Why are we debating? Now, we live in a culture where people talk this way. We make lifetime vows, and we don't mean any of it. We do the same thing with God. Well, I'm serious about God, unless, of course, that would make me unpopular with my friends. Unless, of course, that might get me in trouble at work. Unless, of course, that might cost me something. Daniel knew all about the edict. He knew exactly, it was was not his first rodeo. He had served under a number of kings. He knew all about political corruption and greed. He knew what they were doing. 
Didn't change him a lick. So now it's back to you and me. What if the law changed here? And all of a sudden, to practice biblical truth, to stand for what the Bible says, was all of a sudden against the law. Do we then just tear pages out of our Bible and throw it away? Or is that already decided? Now, my friends, this is why we say that. I don't want you to miss this. The Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. We're not going back on that. But John, what if the Supreme Court says something that will change it, and the Supreme Court says the Bible's wrong? The Supreme Court is not our guide in all matters of faith and practice. The Bible is. But you must understand, if, you, if any of us think that this isn't relevant, think again. It was relevant in the days of the early Christians, too. Peter and John were teaching in the temple. Many people had come to Christ after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. They preached the word powerfully. Many people came to Christ. And miracles were done in Jesus' name. One of those miracles happened one day when John and Peter were on their way to the temple. There was a, a beggar beside the gate. He'd been begging there his whole life. He was more than 40 years old, never walked a day in his life. He was lame. And he asked them for money, and Peter said, well, I don't have any money, but I'll tell you what I do have. In the name of Jesus, I command you to walk. And he grabbed him by the arm and stood up, and the guy's legs were strengthened, and he started walking and skipping and jumping around. And this drew a huge crowd because everybody had seen him begging for decades. And all of a sudden, he's jumping around, giving glory to Jesus. And Peter quiets the big crowd and says, look, don't be thinking that John and I did this. We didn't do this. This was done in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can know Jesus too. Come to Christ. And many did. Hundreds more did right on the spot. Well, now the people who had crucified Jesus got alarmed. They thought they'd put this Jesus stuff away when he was crucified. And now it was exploding more than ever. And so they arrested these guys. And they brought them in front of the Sanhedrin, the same people who had sentenced Jesus to death. And here's what happened. This is in your bulletin, Acts 4. So they called the apostles back in and they commanded them to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop talking about everything we've seen and heard. And it says that the officials didn't know what to do because the man who'd been healed was standing right next to him. Stop telling people there was a miracle. You mean because there's a miracle? Stop telling people it makes sense to do things God's way. You mean because it makes sense to do things God's way? The one who made us and knows what's best for us? We're supposed to stop that? Yeah, we're not going to do that. That's already decided. I told you this was relevant. This isn't a little kid's story, is it? Point three, Daniel suffered because of his faith in God. Now, these guys who were out after Daniel's job, they were smart. They were shrewd. And they had written the law well. And by the way, as we pointed out earlier, they knew Daniel wasn't going to budge. They knew he was faithful. Again, what better compliment in the world than if your enemies say, well, I don't like the guy, I don't like the gal, but I'll tell you what, they're serious about Jesus. That's a good place to be. Say what you want about him, but man, that guy loves Jesus. Well, then the officials went together 
to Daniel's house, and they found him praying and asking for God's help. I mean, you can imagine him opening the windows, and they're in a balcony across the street. 3.53 p.m., he's praying. Praying toward Jerusalem. Write it down. So they went straight to the king, and they reminded him about his law. Oh, king, did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who, wants, who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, be thrown in a den of lions? I mean, Darius month and all that? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, well, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, you know who you want to put in charge over all of us? Well, hate to tell you this, king, but he's ignoring you and your new law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He realized he just got manipulated. He was snookered. He goes, oh, my gosh. Big head is deflating right now. So he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Apparently the law was written that by sundown you'd be thrown into the den of lions. When the evening, about sundown, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, it's about sundown. Now you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. Just want to remind you, it's Darius month. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, and you got to imagine he said this with all the humility he'd ever had. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. I mean, he knew what he had done. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. A lion's den would have been a pit where they kept lions. Um, this was a gruesome, horrible way to deal with political enemies and just people you want to dispose of. I mean, it would be a horrible way to die. They would feed these lions just enough to keep them on the edge of starvation so they were ravenous. And then when there was somebody you didn't like, you'd say, well, here's a test for you. If you can spend the night in a den of lions and the lions don't touch you, you're innocent. On the other hand, if they tear you apart, you're guilty. Nobody ever was not guilty. Until Daniel. They threw him in the pit, rolled a stone over the mouth, and sealed it. The king sealed it with a clay seal on both ends and a cord in between. So no one could rescue Daniel. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment. Couldn't sleep at all that night. I mean, it's a test by ordeal. If you can spend a night in the den of lions, you're innocent. As they tear you apart, you're guilty. No one had ever made it till morning. Life application, as followers of Christ, we should expect to suffer persecution. Maybe not necessarily a den of lions, but persecution of some kind. And we've been awfully blessed here in America. We haven't suffered much. Occasionally an insult, rejection. But in other parts of the world, people lose jobs, people lose their homes. If you watch the Internet videos, thanks to ISIS, some people lose their heads just for being a Christian. Just for being a Christian. John 15, Jesus said, Look, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. I mean, it's the whole idea of repentance. 
Do you remember what I told you? The slave's not greater than his master, and since they persecuted me, naturally they'll persecute you. And when you and I stand for God's righteousness, there will be some people that can't stand us. I mean, I've shared this before, but I mean, it's the same way. I mean, you're going to meet a friend at a restaurant, and since the beginning of the year, he's been eating healthy, and he's lost some weight, and he's gotten in shape, and he's eating a salad, and you're eating a double bacon cheeseburger with extra fries. And all of a sudden, you turn to him and go, ooh, aren't we Mr. Healthy today? But why does it bother me that that guy's eating healthy? Because I'm not. That's why. I mean, he's not the one going, ooh, look at Mr. Greasy today, okay? He doesn't have to say that. He doesn't have to say anything to get on the wrong side of somebody who knows what they're doing is wrong. You just have to be yourself. Now, imagine if we're living for Christ in a sin-soaked world. And we stand for what's right. There are people right and left who want to tear that down because they want to continue on in their sin and they don't want to be reminded that they're sinning. They've shaken their fist at God and they're going to go their own way. And I don't want you to tell me any different. Or in this case, these were people on their way to climbing the career ladder and Daniel stood in the way. We have to eliminate him. And they didn't care about his religious freedoms. They didn't care about him at all. They cared only about themselves. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to have to expect this. If you stand for what's right, people are going to hate you. Well, Daniel suffered, but here's point four. Daniel was also rescued and rewarded because of his faith. Very early the next morning, you know, after the time had passed on the test for the ordeal, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God. I mean, you can hear him leaning over that big stone, shouting down in the hole. Servant of the living God, was your God, whom you served so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they wouldn't hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I haven't wronged you either, your majesty. I mean, he was the only survivor till morning. I mean, I am innocent. The king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and he had them thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them, tore them apart before they even hit the floor. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race, nation, language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens of the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Not once was, it, was Darius' month ever mentioned. It wasn't about Darius anymore. It was about the God of Daniel. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You want to talk about some irony? How ironic is this? The enemies of Daniel who wanted him done in said, we've got to use his religion to destroy him. Their wicked plot boomeranged on, on them. And because of Daniel's religion, they were the ones who were destroyed. And Daniel was elevated. 
which brings us to life application. God is in control even when it doesn't seem like it. And when Daniel's being lowered down to the lion's den for faithfully pr- praying, it doesn't seem like God's in control. Can we all agree? The next morning when he's being elevated to number two in the kingdom and everybody else is throwing the lion's den, yeah, it seems like God's in control. When you and I are being suffered and reject, are suffering or being rejected because we follow the Lord and do what's right, it doesn't seem like God's in control. In heaven one day when we're rewarded for those things, it will seem like God's in control. Because God's in control. And that's why this story is in the Bible. That life application reads, God is in control even when it doesn't seem like it. Would you say that out loud with me, please? God is in control even when it doesn't seem like it. One more time. God is in control even when it doesn't seem like it. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of this sometimes. Especially when I watch the news and it seems like, man, Christians are taking on a chin all over around the world. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered, 1 Samuel 2, 9 and 10. And Peter wrote this. He said, look, even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. He's, Peter remembered what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was the one who said, look, blessed are you if men revile you and hate you and persecute you. Blessed are you if men say all manner of evil things about you. Great will be your reward in heaven. That's the same way they treated the prophets in the Old Testament, like Daniel. And so Peter remembered all that. And so when he wrote to the early Christians, some of them were being thrown to the lions. And he said, even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. I mean, someone has to live a lot like Daniel did, to live exemplary lives and explain where our hope comes from. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Be a person of integrity. And then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed of what they see when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Jesus. You belong, belong to Christ. So this is our blueprint on how to handle things. We need to be people of integrity, not be afraid, keep our conscience clear, and look at these as opportunities to share our faith. And we need to do one more thing that Daniel did, last life application. We need to pray for our national leaders. Daniel prayed three times a day. He gave God thanks, prayed for help, confessed the sins of his people. Sure, he prayed for Darius and the other leaders that he'd served under. When Paul wrote Timothy, he said, Timothy, look, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to pray. You and I can do that. John, are you sure that's a life application? Yeah, let's, let's recast the story again. You had these 120 rulers, a special interest group, who could gain politically and financially if Daniel were out of the way and all of his religious rights, religious rights were abrogated and removed. And so they deceptively maneuvered the leader to pass a law that took away the religious freedoms of Daniel and others who wanted to exercise their faith so they could get ahead. Can you imagine 
living in a culture where there might be special interest groups who are willing to take away the religious rights of Christians in order so that they might gain financially and politically, and they might want to manipulate our leaders to pass laws without concerning our rights at all. Can you imagine living in a world like that? Again, read the paper. We are living in a world like that. I told you this is relevant. That's why we pray for our leaders. Paul is telling Timothy, pray for them so you can live lives in peace and godliness, not being thrown to lions, not being chased around, not being hounded because you're not politically correct and not having people arrest you for just practicing your faith. So we can live peaceful and quiet lives and because this is good and pleases God our Savior, wants everyone to be saved. It's implied in there so we can carry out our ministry and tell people the good news of Jesus. It's hard to tell people the good news of Jesus if the Bible is outlawed or you can only teach parts of it because the other parts aren't politically correct anymore. And you can bet Daniel prayed for people like Darius. He knew Darius had a big head. He knew these guys manipulated him, just laid out the breadcrumbs, and Darius followed right into the trap. You don't think there aren't people out after our political leaders right now doing the same thing? Heck yeah, they are. And that's why we need to pray for them. But all too often, we just turn off the news or shake our heads or just go, oh, yeah, what are you going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Some of you go, man, I just wish I had a prayer guide that would show me how to do that. Well, wait, there's more. In your bulletin, you will have a prayer guide with a suggested prayer at the top and a list of our national leaders. The executive branch, the president, Barack Obama, our vice president, Joe Biden, the president's cabinet, legislative branch, John Boehner, Mitch McConnell, Speaker of the House, Senate Majority, Senate Majority Leader, U.S. Senate, Jeff Sessions, Richard Shelby from Alabama. There's a mistake on here on the House of Representatives. Spencer Bacchus is no longer, it should be Gary Palmer. Sorry about that. Um, Robert Aderholt, Gary Palmer, Mo Brooks, uh, Bradley Byrne, Martha Roby, Mark, Mike Rogers, Terry Sewell. And then the judicial branch, the U.S. Supreme Court, Justices Roberts, Alito, Breyer, Ginsburg, Kagan, Kennedy, Scalia, Sotomayor, and Thomas. I mean, the Supreme Court now has that whole redefinition of marriage issue in front of them. There are many more issues, not just that one. I don't want to be, I don't want to make that we only need to pray about one issue. We need to pray for these people all the time. Because there are special interest groups that don't give a flip about your rights or my rights or our freedom of speech or freedom of religion. They could care less. They got agendas. They don't care. And you and I better pray for the things that are listed here about godly counsel and about doing what's right. We better pray. So the sites that are watching us on video, you can turn off the video now. Um, you guys are going to pray there. Your site pass will lead you in this. Right here, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. So I'm going to have an awkward pause while they turn off the video. Okay, that was awkward. I hope they have the video off. Okay. Uh, the rest of us, though, we're going to have prayer time here. And this is where we're going to close our service today. We don't hardly ever do this this way for those of you who are visiting. But this is serious. I find people all the time shaking our heads about our government leaders and asking, well, who are you praying for? I don't, I don't really pray for them. Well, let's pray today. I hope you take this home, put refrigerator magnets on it, put it on your refrigerator. We can pray for these folks three times a day about the things that are listed here. So 
I'm going to walk us through this little prayer at the top and guide us on this, and this will be our, the way we close our service. If you're able, I even ask you to do this. When we kneel, it shows a sign of respect to God and a certain amount of urgency. And if you're able to kneel, um, I'd ask you to use your chair kind of as a kneeling bench to turn around, to kneel on the floor, place this on the chair seat in front of you, and keep your eyes open, and we'll pray through this together. So if you take just a second, if you're able to do that, and this is the way we'll wrap up our service this morning. If you're not able to kneel, we'll just ask you to bow your head. That's fine, too. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer together, and we pray that as a nation we'd be people devoted to you and we'd listen and obey to you, listen to you and obey you. We acknowledge that we have sinned and turned to go our own way. Please forgive us. Just a moment of silence. Would you just ask God to forgive us? We are a violent people. We are divided along economic lines, racial lines, political lines. We are a sexually immoral people. We are greedy and materialistic and violent. God, forgive us for our sins. There are many. Father, we are self-centered and selfish. We ask, Lord, that you would bring about a spiritual awakening that our lead our country back to you, that our eyes would be off ourselves and onto you. If you have never prayed for a spiritual awakening in our country before, do it now and say, oh God, please bring a spiritual awakening where people want your word, where people want your truth. And we'll focus on you and not themselves. Father, I just, we ask together, you'd move in the hearts of our leaders. You'd surround them with godly counsel so they'll draw upon wisdom, your wisdom in in their decision making. Lord, you put godly people around Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Godly people around John Boehner and Mitch McConnell. Godly people around Jeff Sessions and Richard Shelby. Godly people around Robert Aderholt. Gary Palmer, Mo Brooks, Bradley Byrne, Martha Roby, Mike Rogers, and Terry Sewell. Godly people, Lord, as they're making laws and writing bills and they're voting on things. People who would represent the Christian point of view and say, no, that's not right. People who would speak with a clear conscience and a clear voice. They'd be encouraged when they stand for righteousness. And they'd be warned when we're going the wrong way. Oh, gracious God, please give our leaders strength and courage to stand for what's right, to restrain evil and protect our freedoms. So we might do exactly what Paul wrote Timothy about, that we can carry out the work you've given us with godliness and dignity. Not looking over our shoulder, whether we're politically correct or whether somebody's going to be hunting us down. Father, we pray for our Supreme Court justices, for Justices Roberts and Alito, Breyer, Ginsburg, Kagan, Kennedy, Scalia, Sotomayor, and Thomas. God, right now, there are many other issues coming on their docket, on the docket for them this year. But right now, they're deciding the definition of marriage in our country. And Father, I pray that they will uphold the biblical definition of marriage and not change it. It has been our rule of law since we were founded as a nation. And God, I pray that they will not change it. 
pray that they will be people of courage and stand for what's right. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Thwart the plans of the wicked. And Father, give us courage to stand like Daniel. We can make up our minds right now, and I pray, Lord, you would make us resolute that we will follow you no matter what. You are our king. Your word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. I thank you for the courage of Peter and John. I thank you for the business of, as usual attitude of Daniel. Father, I want to be like them. In the wonderful name of Jesus, in the strong name of Jesus, we pray these things together. Amen.